0: And I would like to just continue on where we have been for the last couple of weeks uh, in a series of messages entitled, How to Develop Strong and Overcoming Faith. How to Develop Strong and Overcoming Faith. And um, this morning, um, I would like to start again with our key scripture with our theme scripture, if you like, out of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm living from the New Living Translation, verses 1 and verses 2. It says, We are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. That, Lord, as we look in your word, uh, we declare that according to what you said, that your word is living, it is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, your word changes our life. It renews our mind. It brings fresh faith into our hearts. It develops a vision for how we are to live for you. It tells us where we come from, tells us where we are right now, and it tells us where we're going. And so, Lord, we choose to receive your word this morning. We declare that we are open uh, in our hearts, in our spirit. We declare that we are teachable people in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we spoke about the four pillars of uh, real Bible faith. I want to quickly repeat those four and then we're going to swing on into uh, what we would like to discuss today. But we said that the first First pillar uh, of faith is that faith must believe. It is an obvious one, but nonetheless, we said that faith must believe. The second pillar is that faith must speak. And we will talk about uh, some of that uh, some more today. The third pillar is that faith must act, that faith must have a corresponding action to go with it in order for us to be true, living Bible faith. And number four, we said that faith must be energized by love. These are the four pillars and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, in fact, let me do ask, how many of you find that you're fresh, uh, that your faith is freshly invigorated after just a couple of sessions of teaching on it, that you're finding that, uh, that things are just stirred up afresh? And so it is in my life. Each time when I restudy uh, some of these uh, uh, truths and some of these concepts, it stirs things up uh, to a fresh level. I would suggest that our faith is no higher necessarily than what it was uh, two, three weeks ago, because, you know, faith comes by hearing. We're hearing the word every Sunday. But nonetheless, we've got a greater understanding on how things work. And we're reminded of things that we know. And perhaps we're learning new things in regards to how to develop and how to operate by faith. Now, this morning, uh, I would like to talk to you about the God kind of faith. And I would like to look at the example of Jesus in Mark chapter 11, um, And uh, what Jesus taught there and what Jesus demonstrated when it comes to the God kind of faith. And so here in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it says, The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed the fig tree uh, in full leaf a little ways off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves. Uh, Leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, uh, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now, just to get some background understanding. the Gospels describe Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem as he came in uh, riding on a donkey, uh, the fall of a, of a donkey. The people welcomed him as the king of, uh, the, king of the Jews and so forth. And uh, Jesus spent a day in Jerusalem and then he goes back out uh, to Bethany where his friends were, uh, I guess, um, offering him accommodation, friends like Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead, Mary and Martha. There's also another man out uh, in uh, Bethany that he visited, obviously within uh, a day's journey of, you know, Jerusalem. And I say a day's journey, uh, uh, a short distance between Jerusalem by now. Things are no longer safe for Jesus in Jerusalem, and he had to complete certain things before he allowed them to take him uh, and then in the end crucify him uh, uh, and 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 kill him, execute him uh, in this horrible way. So these guys are out in Bethany, and. Uh, In the morning, as they leave Bethany to go back into Jerusalem, the Bible says that Jesus is hungry. Um, So he sees a fig tree, uh, and he goes over to see if he could find some figs on it. Uh, He could find none. And so Jesus made a statement at this point in time where he says, let no one ever eat your fruit again. And a bit of an unusual thing to say. Um, And his disciples heard him say it. I kind of wonder whether his disciple thought, "Is Jesus okay today? He's now speaking to trees." <laughs> okay, and uh, and uh, uh, we go on in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Uh, in the meantime, they had carried on into Jerusalem, spent a the day there, a few things went on, they came back out into Bethany, and now they're back en route back into Jerusalem again. It's about 24 hours since Jesus spoke to the fig tree. The next morning, verse 12, as they were leaving Bethany, In fact, let me skip down to verse 20 rather. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the fig tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. Um... There are various opinions amongst Bible commentators and Bible scholars in regards to why Jesus did what he did and why he said what he said. I personally believe that people said, oh, you know, Jesus just got angry with the tree. Well, I don't believe that Jesus got angry with the tree. Uh, I just believe that Jesus used this as an opportunity to teach his disciples faith and how to operate in faith Uh, because he had already spent three three and a half years with them and developed them and got him ready to take charge of the church that was going to be launched after his death and after his resurrection and he's now got a, a a faith demonstration going on and uh and after the demonstration, when these guys realized the effect that his words had on the tree, he gave them the explanation. So first there was a demonstration of faith, then there was the explanation of faith. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested in both. All right, I don't want to just, want to just see faith, I want to have it explained uh, so that I know how to operate by faith myself. So when Jesus uh, replied to them, and they said, "Oh, Master, the fig tree that you cursed yesterday, <laughs> look, it's dried up from the roots," um, and uh, and he just turned around to them, "Have faith in God." Now, many, uh, shall we say, most English translations translate that passage as have faith in God, but there are a couple of translations that translate it differently. One of those is uh, the Douay Reims Bible, which is the uh, a Bible that's largely accepted in the Catholic world, uh, and the Worrell's translation of the New Testament. I have a Worrell's translation um, and I've looked at it ex- extensively over the years in my study of the Word. And, and, uh, and they say that, uh, that Jesus wasn't saying, have faith in God, but he was saying, have the faith of God. Now, have you noted there are two different things going on here? Have faith in God. There are many, many people who have faith in God, but they haven't got the faith of God because they, are not, they don't know how to operate in the faith that God is made available to every believer. And in fact, uh, the... Um, The Greek scholar T.A. Robertson uh, goes a step further. Uh, He says that this passage should be translated as, Have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. Now, this man is not some obscure Bible scholar. I mean, he's lived and died uh, in the last century. He was the champion uh, of the Baptist movement uh, in America. So he's a very learned, a very studied man. And he suggests that this scripture here, rather than saying, have faith in God, it should be saying, have the God kind of faith all right, have the God kind of faith. Because what Jesus tried to get across to them was it wasn't just uh, that Jesus was able to do that because he had faith in God, though he did, but he had the God kind of faith and he was able to uh, affect this tree uh, with the words that he spoke to it. And uh, Basically what Jesus was telling his disciples was that they should have the faith of God and use it like God uses it. All right. How does God use faith? Well, way back in creation, uh, when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, uh, when God created the the, the whole universe, the planets, the moon, the stars, all the stars and everything, when God created man, uh, plants and all of these things, God spoke faith-filled words. All right. That's how God created And Jesus was indicating to these guys to say, Look, you guys, you guys need to have the faith of God yourself. Um, As believers, we need to realize that we have been given the God kind of faith and we can release God's power into situations and into circumstances by speaking faith-filled words. Everybody say faith-filled words. Now, uh, what we realize is that as we study the word, the Bible says in one instance that Jesus saw their faith. So faith can be seen. But faith can not only be seen, but it can also be heard. And sometimes when you listen to people, if you know what you're looking for, you can hear whether there is faith or whether there is an absence of faith. I remember one individual they had some dealings with uh, way back, many, many years ago. This is outside of our church environment. I mean, this man was a believer. He was a, a lovely man. He had some level of responsibility in the environment that he was in, in a, in a Christian environment, a ministry, if you like. And, uh, and he will pray, and there were gatherings, and he will pray. And it always struck me. It's like, wow, this man is able to use lovely words when he prays, but I don't detect any faith in his prayers. It's just words. All right. Now, I don't mean to get really, like, really personal with you and to say that, oh, gosh, you know, like, I'm not in any way suggesting that, that uh, you know, that, uh, that people that pray, but the reality is this that sometimes you hear people praying and they are, they are telling a lovely story to God as if God doesn't know what's going on and then they're storytelling and a bit of this and a bit of that, but I'm looking for faith. I'm, I'm trying to hear faith. And actually, guess what? Guess what God is looking for when we pray to Him? God is looking for faith. Because God will always respond to faith. God doesn't necessarily respond to words, unless they're words that are in line with His Word, and unless these words are filled with faith. And God most certainly does not respond to need. There's needs everywhere. And most needs get unmet in in the world today, so God does not respond to need; God responds to faith. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord ran to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him and this is not so much saying that we 've got to like you know, be, be like really good all the time it 's like The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when God sees faith in the heart and in the life of a person, he will pass over a thousand, he will pass over a million people to get to you to meet your need. Because God promised, he said he would do that. So Jesus is demonstrating faith to these guys. And now he's explaining uh, what this looks like. So they had the demonstration of faith. Now is the explanation of faith. Have the faith of God. And interesting that some Bible commentators, when we read this passage here, and they give it a heading, if you like, when they now comment on it, they're saying that this is a lesson on prayer. But friend, I would like to suggest to you that this is not so much a lesson on prayer, this is a lesson on faith. All right? This is a lesson on faith. And yes, when we pray, we engage our faith, and when we speak with God, but right here in Mark chapter 11, verse 14, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, he wasn't praying. He wasn't praying. This is not prayer. He's speaking to a fig tree. All right. He spoke to the victory directly and he used the God kind of faith to make a declaration that produced a noticeable change within the space of 24 hours. And here is what I would like to remind you of and point out to you if you haven't uh, kind of noticed that in reading over this passage here. When they went past the victory the second time, 24 hours after Jesus had cursed it, the Bible says that the fig tree started to dry up from the roots upward. The roots is the invisible part of the tree, and what's above surface is the visible part. The invisible part was affected before the visible part was affected. And friends, here is what happens when you and I speak faith-filled words. It first has an effect in the realm of the spirit in the invisible realm, before it has an effect in the visible realm. And sometimes people, when when people learn these truths, and they begin to say, well, I'm going to try that. uh, Actually, it's not a good idea to try things. You either do it or you don't do it. All right we don 't try christianity we, we We get saved, and then we 're in the kingdom of god we we don 't try to be born again we 're either born again or we 're not born again. you know like let 's try this, we either have the revelation of it, and we are convinced we 're going to move forward, otherwise, what is the point in poking around a little bit here and a little bit there, and everything else uh, so 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 this deal that's going on here is where Jesus absolutely spoke to the fig tree and then he walked away. He wasn't looking like, oh, let's see if anything's going to happen now. He knew when he released his faith by speaking words that it would have an effect. His disciples didn't know it uh, until the next day. And when they noticed that the fig tree had dried up, had dried up from the roots, uh, it had dried up from the invisible part of the tree, and now it's visible in the seen part of the tree. And friend, when it comes to operating by faith, our words first and foremost affect the realm of the spirit and, uh, uh, and address the, the root of the problem before the effect of it is seen, before the answer is seen and manifests in the seen realm. So be encouraged. When you first start speaking words, words of faith purposefully, uh, sometimes it can be a little discouraging because we are kind of trained, you know, to look and to see if it's working. (laughs) And rather we ought to be trained by the word and understand that when we speak words, it has an effect. It has an effect every time. So we might as well be purposeful about it and speak words of life rather than words of death. Proverbs tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So if we love life, let's speak life, and we will eat the fruit of life. If we don't understand, we are liable to speak death and... uh, Death is what we will experience when we will eat the fruit of death. And I don't mean as in death as in dying, but the whole nature of death, which is things breaking down, sickness and disease, disaster, calamity, accidents, and all of these other things that generally people uh, are dealing with. Frank, can I make a suggestion? Um, And this is either good news news or or not good news, uh, but it'll help us. That your world and my world is largely the result of the words that we have spoken or words that somebody else spoke over us and we agreed with them. All right? Because we live in a word system. It's all based on words that are being spoken, words of death, words of life, creative words or destructive words, Uh, words of love or words of hatred, words of uh, forgiveness and acceptance or words of judgment and of retribution and revenge and so forth. Um... So Jesus, in that instance, wasn't teaching his disciples so much about prayer, though he mentions prayer in the latter part of that explanation, and we will get to that. He was just teaching them how to use their faith by speaking directly into situations and into circumstances, and in this instance, speaking directly to a tree. Now, uh, when we're talking about prayer... um, Prayer generally is understood to, to mean talking to God. And, and, and that's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. As we study the word, prayer ought to be a, as we speak, it ought to be, be a toggling in and out of talking to God about situations and then talking into situations directly. And so we're toggling in and out. And sometimes when you listen to somebody uh, praying, you get that. Um, and, uh, and when people start speaking into situations, you immediately know that you're dealing with somebody that understands their authority. But when only somebody always only asks God, and it's almost like begging and pleading with God, uh, though for certain things this is what we don't beg, but we may, we may plead, and we, you know, as we intercede for somebody, there's certain wording that we use. But, but furthermore, when somebody never commands anything or never, never speaks into any situation, they don't understand their authority, and they don't understand how the God kind of faith works. Is everybody right this morning? Alright, so uh, Jesus, as he moved about, ministering to people, contrary to popular opinion, Jesus didn't pray to the Father to heal people or to cast the devil out of people. Jesus directly ministered healing to these people and he used his faith and his authority to cast the devil out of people i just look at a couple of examples here. In Luke chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus had gone to uh, Peter's house, and and Peter's wife's mother, so that's Peter's mother-in-law, is lying in bed. She's sick. She's got a fever. So she's clearly unwell. She's got uh, something going on. And it says here in verse 39 of Luke 4, standing at her bedside, Jesus rebuked the fever, And it left her, and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. There's still no prayer going on. Jesus hasn't involved the father into saying, oh, father, heal this one. He says, no, he rebuked the fever. So when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, it should have been nothing unusual because his disciples had already seen him speak directly to demons, speak directly into sickness, into disease, into situations. And this is how the God kind of faith works. So she got up and prepared a meal for them. So seemingly, uh, she had an instant result. Can I suggest, too, that when we start out using our faith in this way, uh, if it takes a little while for certain things to take an effect, let's be encouraged. Uh, Let's not be discouraged because Jesus, by now, has got a highly developed faith. And he's speaking to a tree, and within the space of 24 hours, there's a visible effect in this tree. Now, this is quite something. It's a high level of faith. All right. But we need to start out where we are, and not get discouraged and then not three weeks later saying it's not working. It's just something that we do. We just learn to be more purposeful about it. Here in Luke chapter 8 verse 24, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat going across the lake, Lake Genezareth. Um, And uh, there's a storm that's come up, Uh, the wind is blowing against them, the waves are high, they're taken in water, and they're saying, Master, we're perishing, don't you care that we're drowning? And when Jesus woke up, verse 24, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. What does that mean? He spoke directly to the wind. He's not talking to the Father about it, he's speaking directly to the wind and uh, to the raging waves. Um, And suddenly, the storm stopped, and it was all calm. And again, let me encourage you, in this instance, there's a sudden result because Jesus is operating at a high level of faith. People are saying, well, this is only happening because he's the son of God. But my friend, you're a son of God too. All right? And if you're a a lady, you're a daughter of God. And the son, there's not so much reference to the, the male or the female, but the mature children of God that know how to use the faith of God. There's like a shift that Jesus wanted to bring about in the last few days that he's with them to teach them about faith once more and say, hey, guys, he says, what, in not so many words, what you saw when I spoke to that victory, and now that you're seeing 24 hours later that there's a shift and a change in it, he says, have the God kind of faith. Have the faith of God and use it like God uses it. Now, because at this stage, at this stage, uh, religious devils get all upset because they kind of want to keep the church down. They don't want the church to find out about the authority. And they don't want the church to think that there is, in, there is in any way like God. But the reality is you and I, we've been made in the image and in the likeness of God. And though man fell, and the book of Genesis tells us about it, when Jesus came, when we got born again, we were restored again into God's image and into God's likeness. So the way that God operates, we can operate. And as I said, religious people don't like that. They just get all upset. But friends, there's something about when people have a revelation, it revolutionizes their faith life. It revolutionizes, it moves them from being a victim to being a victor, to somebody that's always under the circumstances, now somebody that's in charge. And I've been around some faith people that so struck me, as people like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. You get around some people, I remember many, many years ago, I met Dr. Lester Sumrall, uh, who was the founder of the Feed the Hungry uh, food uh, aid organization that we supported from the early days and still support today. And when I got around Doc Summerall, he was, uh, at that stage, he would have been in his late 60s, early early 70s. And when he prayed, and when he ministered to people, there wasn't any begging, there wasn't any pleading. There was, he's like, I command this. And, and when he dealt with demons, I command you to come out. And he was like operating at a level, like I thought, wow, this is a amazing and a few years later I met his son who came to visit us here in, in this very building his son who took over the ministry at that time and I listened to him pray and I thought I've heard this before I heard it in his father and the same spirit of faith that was in his father is in the son too and these guys are a, a rebuking and they're a commanding and they're just in they're speaking as if they're in charge all right And friends, you and I, we need to speak as if we're in charge. Because God's put us in charge. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. We are in charge, my friend. We are absolutely uh, God's agents in the earth here today. Mark chapter 1, verse 25, it says, But Jesus reprimanded him, and he says, Be quiet, come out of the man he ordered. So here's an instant where a demon manifests and starts talking to Jesus through this demon-possessed person. They say, Oh, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And the Bible says that Jesus reprimanded him. Again, Jesus is not praying. He's speaking directly to to this demon here he says be quiet come out of the man he ordered people who are people of faith they know how to command they know how to order because they understand their authority And then lastly, but not least, and we could go on and on, but I just thought I'd put down four scripture references that point out how Jesus operated in the faith of God and how he wants us to operate in the faith of God. In John chapter 11, verse 43, uh, Jesus is standing in front of the tomb of his friend called Lazarus, who had passed away, been in the tomb for More than three days by now. And and was it Peter that pointed out, oh Lord, by now he stinketh. You know, like by now, uh, this is not now a good time to be dealing with the body because it's just not a good situation. Uh, And he says, roll away the stone. And uh, now Jesus then did pray to the Father. And he says, I say these things. He says, Father, I thank you that you have hurt me. So Jesus had obviously prayed about it. What what he's about to do. And he says, And I only say these things that those who are standing by can hear me, that they know that you've sent me. And then he steps into his authority uh, deal and he says, Lazarus, come forth. So that's why I'm saying prayer should be toggling in and out of talking to God and talking to the Lazaruses. Uh, of this life. Lazarus was dead. Anything that's dead needs to have life spoken into it. Awesome. Anything that's not working well needs to have order spoken into it. Anything that tries to uh, come against us and overcome us needs to be rebuked and pushed back. And we do that with the words of our mouth. When we speak faith-filled words, things begin to change. Amen. All of these things um, uh, all of these things Jesus did with and by the faith of God. And in this instance here, Jesus wasn't even speaking quietly. Sometimes people say, oh, you, you know, you faith people, you know, you just get all excited and then you start shouting. Well, in, in this instance, Jesus shouted out. He, he's like shouting. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And it was a command rather than a suggestion. And people say, Oh Lord, that you would do this and just do that and would do this. And let's do away with the woulds and the justs. And let's approach God with confidence and know what we're saying. And then let's deal with situations as God describes to us that we take His word and we enforce God's will in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We are agents of God's kingdom. We have been given the God kind of faith to carry on the work that Jesus began, and to bring about God's will in our lives and in the lives of those around us and in the earth, generally speaking. Until people learn how to use faith, we use faith for them. And once we know how to use faith for them, not only do we do that, but we then teach them faith so that they can do it for themselves. I've always appreciated when somebody has prayed for me and we got some results, you know, the early days of my Christianity, but I've really appreciated when somebody taught me faith so I can make this work for myself. All right. right? Now, sadly, not everywhere faith is taught, yet in these last days we need all the faith that we can muster up and we need to know how to use the thing. Because the days are not getting easier, friends. We're moving into more challenging times, uh, perilous times, the word says. And uh, it's important that we walk by faith, especially in these last days or live by faith. You know, I remember in the 80s when somebody says, I live by faith. What they were really uh, trying to communicate was that they didn't have a job. They were, quote-unquote, leaving by faith. And not just by faith, but they were living by hint, hoping that somebody will give them money so they can pay their bills. But faith people are people who work. All right, so that's like a wrong, a wrong terminology being used to describe something that's not even, uh, not even uh, ordained of God because uh, all faith people work. Now, not, not all might be employed right now, but they're all busy people. They're all engaging. They're all trying to be productive and using the gifts and the talents and, and, and the resources that God has put at their disposal. Let me read to you from Job chapter 22, uh, verse 28. This is a great scripture that again describes how the God kind of faith works. And friend, if you if you get anything today in, in regards to what I'm sharing with you, get this: that you and I need to make our faith work and not just always talk to God about things. We need to learn to speak into circumstances and into situations. We speak to money. We When Pastor Vanessa and I learned that, we started to speak to our bank account. We spa- started to speak to our wallet and we started to speak to our house. We spoke to our pantry. And we said, pantry, you are filled with all kinds of good things. And it was like, as you know, as, uh, uh, she kind of pointed out before You know, when, when the kids grew up, uh, we had decided that Vanessa was going to be a stay-at-home mom um, and that's what we did. And so uh, I went out to, to uh, you know, to earn money but we didn't have a great deal but we started where we were and we were grateful for what we had and we honored God with our tithe and with our offering much or little that's why we gave God the first and the best and we used faith And and, uh, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about faith projects. Uh, It's good to identify something in your life that you can turn into a faith project. And it's not even so much a big pressing need. uh, It's something that you quite like to have or or do or bring about or see happen. And you're making that a faith project just to uh, start working your faith muscle more purposefully. Because we said faith is like a muscle. It'll grow and increase like a muscle can. So Job 22, verse 28, you will also decree a thing and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. And so uh, the words to Job at the time were, Job, if you are close to God and you're living right, then you will get to a place where you will decree a thing and it will be established unto you. You will just speak and the words you speak will happen. And faith people know that. The words we speak will happen. We might as well speak words of life. (laughs) We might as well speak words of blessing. In fact, when we learn this, we become very circumspect with the words we speak. Certain words we will no longer speak. Certain things we will no longer say. Because the language of faith demands that we speak faith and faith only rather than doubt and unbelief and disaster and calamity. So... What do you know God's will to be in your life and in your sphere of influence? What do you know that to be? Because it starts with the will of God. It's not just randomly going around and saying, I'm a millionaire and I say this and I do that. It's like, what's what's God's will for your life? Begin to speak that. Begin to decree things that are in line with the will of God for your life. Begin to make some strong and some bold declarations. And don't beg and plead. Start commanding. Start decreeing. The Bible says that the word of a king has power. And a king doesn't recommend and suggest a king commands. All right? Issue... The commands from God's word and demand that they come to pass. I remember way back when Pastor Vanessa and I listened to a prayer seminar, was a whole series of messages. Uh, um, And uh, in the Lord's Prayer there, which is basically a prayer outline, and this man uh, suggested and recommended and then demonstrated that not only do you say to God, Oh, Lord, your kingdom come and you will be done. But he says, you start commanding and you speak and you look around and say, God's kingdom come. God's will be done in that situation to use our authority and to cause a shift in the realm of the spirit. We are shifting things when we speak faithful words. We can bring about a shift over our whole nation um, or certainly over our own world. And the reality is that you and I, we create our own world within God's big world that he has created. We create our own world within that through the words that we speak or words that have been spoken that we've somehow accepted and haven't learned how to push back on. Well, you know, people say, we're just, you know, we're the wrong, you know, we're the wrong, we're somehow not in the right part of town, and, you know, we haven't got much, and we probably never will have much, and, and you know, it's just it runs in the family, you know, and, you know, we're the wrong, you know, we probably possibly could be the wrong color or the wrong ethnicity or the wrong, you know, we just somehow haven't been educated, and it'll always be like that. Listen, friends, some of the most successful people in the whole world, many times, haven't had much of an education. I know people who are high up. I mean, high up in in the business world. They can't even spell properly. And I'm not in any way sort of saying, you know, shame on them, but they've just decided that wasn't going to stop them. They've just gone ahead, I remember, (laughs) a builder, friend of mine, uh, he uh, launched out after his apprenticeship into uh, building houses and he says, uh, and it says, you and you and you are going to come with me and we're going to work together. You come with me because you know how to replante. I don't know how to replante, but you know how to replante, so you come with me. So he's the boss. He doesn't know how to replante. But he wasn't going to stop him. <laughs> I'm not suggesting or saying that we should do silly things. But don't let anything stop you. Don't let your family uh, limitations be imposed on you or your ethnicity limitations be imposed on you. Just don't accept it. And sometimes when you try to break out and you knock on this door and you knock on that door and and the words no, don't accept no for an answer. I know when I'm after something and people say, I'm, I, I try to buy something or I try to get something fixed as, oh, no, that can't be done. And, uh, and what I've sometimes heard is that, you know, people can hear my accent and I go somewhere and say, oh, you know, in this country, we don't do that. I just don't take no for an answer. There, there is an answer somewhere. There is a breakthrough. We do not accept no for an answer. When we know that we've heard from God, we know that the will of God is this and that, and we will not stop and get somebody to try to talk us out of it or talk us down or try to beat us down. Some people are just beaten down continually. Don't let it happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, shout God's will to be done. In Jesus' name, learn to raise your voice. And it's not the shouting that gets the job done, it's the conviction with which you speak that gets the job done. Sometimes people get the wrong end of the stick, oh, the more we shout, the better it'll be. No, not necessarily, but in this instance, Jesus shouted. <laughs> I remember reading a testimony of John G. Lake, who went to South Africa. Or to Africa as a missionary, and did just fantastic work amongst the people. And there was a plague that broke out, and it was discovered that uh, all the other groupings that were there and their workers died along with the population because they got the black plague too. And uh, and it turned out when they said to him, "Look, how is it that you guys keep going and that you people don't die?" He says, "Well, he says, let, let me show you something. So uh, that." Time they had these people that died. They produced this is kind of unpleasant, but they produced a kind of a uh, you know, emission out of their mouth as, as they died and after they died. And he says, Take some of that and put it on my hand, and let's put my hand under a microscope. And rather than this thing affecting him, it died before their very eyes because he had learned how to use faith and how to use his authority. And in a couple of instances, when he was called on uh, to pray for somebody, for them to n- be healed rather than die, in one instance, there was already some other Christians there. And John G. Lake goes in, and he's praying like he is, uh, he's going somewhere. And he's pray- praying, and they say to him, Oh, um, Mr. Lake, you're much too excited to be here. We would like for you to stop that right now. This is not how we pray around here. Well, He prayed like that, and he got results. They'd done all the begging and all the pleading, And people still kept on dying. See, this is the difference, my friend, between faith and just hoping and wishing that something would happen and thinking that more pleading or more begging will give us better results. Jesus says, have the faith of God. Too many Christians are passively waiting for God to do something for them. But friend, faith is not passive. Faith is active. God has given us his faith to decree his word and to bring about his will in our lives and in our families and in our circumstances. And for those of you uh, that are parents, you got more authority in your children's life than what you realize. And I mean not just authority when you tell them what to do and they will do it, but you got authority in the spirit realm. You're the tribal leader, you're the boss over the clan. It's amazing when you speak, and sometimes speak just in your prayer time. It's amazing what shifts you can bring about and what changes you can bring forth when you start commanding. I forbid this. I command that. Because you're the tribal leader. Sometimes, you know, when we pray for people and we pray for young people or for children, uh, more often than not, we say, Where's the Father? Father, you say some things now because the Father has authority. The mother has authority over the children. I mean, <clears throat> uh, Jacob knew this. He began to prophesy over his 12 sons before he died in Egypt. And he commanded them that they were to bring his bones out and bury him alongside uh, his you know, first wife up in, in, in the promised land and what have you. But he spoke some things because he knew he had authority. The whole area of pronouncing the blessing. I got some authority in the life of this church and people who are truly connected into the life of the church and who are truly submitted to the leadership here. I got some authority. I got more authority here than praying for somebody who is in another church because they are under another authority structure. It all has to do with authority. And we have authority to achieve things in New Zealand, authority that we have that we don't have so much in other countries, though we pray for people in other countries, but there's an authority structure in place. All right? So in Mark chapter 11, and I'm moving quickly now, (coughs) verse 22, and this is now out of Worrell's New Testament translation. Same passage that we read before, and Jesus answering said to them, have the faith of God. For verily, I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, and when Pastor Finesse and I first heard this teaching, it was pointed out that Jesus says, whosoever. This doesn't just work for Jesus. It doesn't just work for super saints. It works for Whosoever that chooses to lay hold of that. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says comes to pass, he, will, uh, he shall have it. Verse 24, Therefore I say to you, all things, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Now, just to summarize quickly, and then we're going to close. The instructions that Jesus gave here, the commands, if you like. Number one, he says, have the faith of God. Number two, he says, say to this mountain, he says, learn to speak to your mountains. And I do not believe in the remotest that Jesus literally meant that the mountain they were looking at, which could have been the Mount of Olives, was going to just suddenly be lifted up and fly across. And you now got floating mountains like the head in the movie called The Avatar. I don't believe there was in any sense, uh, you know, that, that, that thing here. Jesus was simply saying, speak to the mountains in your life. What is a mountain? What is a barrier in your life right now? What is a hindrance that hinders you from moving forward? You knocked on a couple of doors and they said, no, that's a hindrance. You can change that by the power of prayer. When I say prayer, the power of faith. Say to this mountain, and then number three, uh, this third point there, believe that what you say comes to pass. And friend, if you truly believe that what you say comes to pass, you certainly won't say a whole lot of things anymore because you can't have it both ways. You can't say everything I say in faith, it's going to happen and everything that I speak in doubt and unbelief will not happen. It will all happen. Because you and I are releasing power with the words. It's either the, li- the power of blessing or the power of curse. It's either the bar- power of life or the power of death. And then fourth point there says, believe that you receive them. Believe. All right. And what are the conditions? But Jesus says that whosoever can do this, if all the conditions are, do not doubt in your heart. Don't doubt in your heart. Just get to the place where once you've learned this and you've started to do this, that you say, all right, we're going to do this. And we're going to make things happen by faith. We're going to use the God kind of faith. And we believe that what we say will come to pass. We will speak with faith rather than... Oh, let's try this and see if we're going to get any effect, all right? We're going to absolutely believe. And the results, Jesus says, you shall have it, verse 23 or verse 24. You shall have them. What? The things. You shall have them. I remember Kenneth Hagin, when he taught on this passage of Scripture and shared the revelation that God had given him from this very passage about walking by faith and to get himself healed of three incurable diseases. Um, he said, he says, please notice that the word believe is mentioned only once, but the word speak is mentioned three times. And that really helped me. Now, three times it's mentioned in the, in the New King James Version and in the King James Version. In this version here, uh, they've left w- one of those out. But anyway, here's the point. We need to do And focus more on the speaking than we do on the believing. A lot of people focus on, oh, if I could only believe. No, if you could only speak. All right. Start speaking. Start speaking. And the reality is the more you speak, the more you will believe. Last scripture. Here it is in Luke chapter 17, verse 5 and 6. The apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed... You should say to this mountain, or rather to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And the two points I would like to raise out of this scripture here, I don't think we ought to get overly focused on a mustard seed. Because Jesus didn't so much want to communicate with us that it is the size of the faith that matters, but rather, rather what really matters is what we do with it. He says, if he had faith you would say. If you had faith, you would speak. And because we have faith, we speak. Let me really encourage you to start speaking. Speaking words of faith. Speaking words of life. Speaking words of blessing. The interesting thing is that the word mulberry tree here, um, in one translation, talk about a sycamore tree various suggestions opt, uh, offered in regards to what kind of trees there were. But again, I do not believe that you'd see a tree like, oh, look, it's just been uprooted, it's just flung over here. I don't believe uh, that's the physical meaning or the literal meaning of this verse at all. Jesus just simply said, start speaking to your things. The mulberry tree actually speaks of uh, weeping. Uh, it had some sort of a meaning attached to it with weeping. Is there any area in your life that causes you to weep? start speaking into that very area and bring forth a change in the mighty name of Jesus. So friend, let me close with this, that faith has to be released from our hearts through speaking words. Because the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, but faith goes by speaking. Faith comes to you, and faith goes from you, and faith goes from you into situations, into circumstances, into different uh, things that are going on through the words that you speak. And we're going to close right there. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word. Again, Lord, that you are speaking to us, you're reminding us of faith. We thank you, Father, for the authority that you've given to us, and we thank you, Lord, that it is the God kind of faith that you've given to us when we were born again. Every single believer has it. None of us have been passed over. And Lord, we choose today to uh, step up our faith walk and Lord, to go to entirely new levels. And we thank you, Lord God, that you're for us. That Lord, if we stretch beyond where we are right now, Lord, that you don't beat us down, but Lord, you encourage us. That we are the faith people that we're rising up to entirely new levels. And Lord, I thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters here today. I declare and I decree and I pronounce the blessing of God over every individual in this house here today. The blessing of God over every family that is represented here today. We speak peace over families. We declare unity over marriages. We speak health and prosperity over people's lives. We speak increase into businesses in the area of contracts coming in and, and uh, cash flow. And we declare increase In the mighty name of Jesus and Father, we thank you that all good things are happening to us. In Jesus' name, amen.